All right, here we go. Here we go. On today's show, I'm going to be talking about Donald Trump's Christian right problem and why it's going to hurt him in Iowa, which is only, what, 50 days away? January 15th. The Christian right has a problem with Donald Trump, and Donald Trump has a problem with the Christian right. Republican candidates cannot win Iowa without the Christian right. Trump has already lost some important endorsements from leading evangelicals in that state, not just because they find him weak on abortion, because they're on to him. They think he lacks morals, not just in his personal life, but his policies are now considered cruel by some leading evangelicals in the state of Iowa, the family separation, border policy, for example, cruel. And Donald Trump is making the mistake of taking the Christian right for granted. In fact, having contempt for the Christian right. According to a new book by Tim Alberta, Donald Trump thinks the Christian right are fools. There's a harder word he uses. I won't repeat it. He thinks the Christian right is ungrateful for not thanking him enough for appointing the three judges who overturned Roe. He refuses to commit to a 15-week national abortion ban and has told the evangelicals an abortion ban is not a winning message. But they don't care. That's not what they want to hear. Now, Trump, as we know, destroys every relationship. It was the evangelicals who got Donald Trump elected. But Jerry Falwell Jr. is gone. There's a new Christian right. Trump doesn't like their leaders, and their leaders don't like him. And that spells trouble right here in River City, Iowa. Trouble with a capital T and that rhymes with, I don't know, something from the music, man. More on all that a little later on in the show. Thank you for finding me. This is the mop-up for November 27th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed. Of course, leave a comment. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter and my channel. We're conducting a poll in our live chat room right now. If you're watching us live on YouTube, we're conducting a poll in our live chat room, and I will have the results at the end of the show. It's a simple question. Who do you think is going to win Iowa? Iowa is, what, six weeks away? Who wins? Iowa, Trump, DeSantis, Nikki Haley, or the Windsor bosom? Which one do you think who do you think wins Iowa? Uh, will it be Trump? Will it be DeSantis? Will it be Nikki Haley or the Windsor bosom? And I will have the results of this poll at the end of the show. New York Congressman George Santos says he doesn't expect to survive the next vote to expel him from the House of Representatives. Santos endured the previous vote because it requires a two-thirds majority which his opponents didn't have. But after last week's scathing 50-page ethics report accused him of stealing money from his campaign war chest to purchase, among other things, clothing and treat himself to Botox injections, enough members of the Republican caucus are now saying it's time for him to go. Santos said last week he would not seek re-election. That wasn't good enough there's going to be a vote. And Friday, he admitted that this time around, he expects to lose the vote. He expects to be thrown out of the House of Representatives sometime before the end of this year. The Republican chair of the House Ethics Committee, Michael Guest, spent nine months investigating Santos and last Thursday introduced the motion to expel him. The vote will be held after the Thanksgiving break, possibly this week. Santos 
during a Twitter live stream Friday night, accused the ethics chairman of being a pussy and said the other members of the ethics committees are all hypocrites. Then Santos turned his wrath on his Republican colleagues, saying that in the House of Representatives, there are, quote, felons galore. Felons galore, if I'm not mistaken, is also one of the clothing stores Santos racked up $15,000 in charges from. Felons galore. That sounds like uh, my stripper name. Felons, please make it rain. (laughs) Please welcome felons galore. Santos said members of the House show up to work drunk, cheat on their wives, and that that the entire place is just gross. That's what he said. The entire place is just gross. This is shocking. I I can't believe House members are drunk. They're cheating on their wives. I I just can't believe that. Senator Mitt Romney of Utah, who lost to President Obama in 2012 and has announced his retirement from politics after 2024, said he will probably vote for a Democrat if Donald Trump is nominated. In an interview with CBS, Romney said he would vote for any Republican over Donald Trump, with the possible exception of Vivek Ramaswamy. He said all the other candidates are acceptable to him. Romney added, quote, I'd be happy to vote for a number of Democrats, too. It would be an upgrade from Donald Trump. And then he added an upgrade from Joe Biden as well. See, that's Romney. Couldn't commit to voting for Biden over Trump, right? But to his credit, in both Trump impeachments, Romney voted twice to convict. Obamacare used to be called Romneycare because it was modeled after a health insurance program Romney initiated as governor of Massachusetts. Probably the only good thing that man ever did in his life, Romney care. And that's why Obama based his own Affordable Care Act on Romney's Massachusetts plan. Obama figured it would be harder for Republicans to reject because, you know, it was based on Romney's plan, but they rejected it. Even Romney said he was against it. And when he ran for president, he said he would try to uh, repeal it. And that's why Obamacare had to be passed through reconciliation. No Republicans would get on board. Donald Trump over the weekend promised that if he's reelected, he would get rid of Obamacare like he did, you know, the first four years. He offered no idea of what he would replace Obamacare with other than, quote, something better. That's what he said throughout his presidency. We're going to replace Obamacare with something better. Since Obamacare was passed, Republicans have voted 100 times at least to overturn it, and 100 times they failed. However, they have succeeded in weakening Obamacare by eliminating the individual mandate penalty and encouraging states not to take Medicaid expansion. There are other things they've done as well. Donald Trump showed up at the Williams Bryce Stadium in South Carolina on Saturday for the Palmetto Bowl, where he was greeted mostly with boos, some cheers, but mostly boos. Trump beat Biden in South Carolina by 12 points. South Carolina will be the next primary following New Hampshire. Trump has a commanding lead in South Carolina in the polls, despite Nikki Haley being the former governor. Well, the latest surveys in South Carolina show Trump with anywhere between 54 to 64 percent of all likely Republican voters in that state. Iowa evangelical leader Rob Vanderplatz endorsed Ron DeSantis last week, and we talked about this on Friday. It's important because Vanderplatz has endorsed every Republican winner of the Iowa caucuses going back to 2012, 
when he endorsed Senator Rick Santorum, who won the Iowa caucuses but went on to lose the nomination to Mitt Romney. In 2016, Vander Plaats backed Ted Cruz, who went on to lose the nomination to Donald Trump. And now Vander Plaats is endorsing DeSantis. So Trump, over the weekend, lashed out at Vander Plaats. Trump accused the Christian leader of being a scam artist who charges candidates for their endorsements. Not sure this is politically savvy to lash out at everyone who doesn't endorse you, especially if they're Republicans. Rolling Stone reports this morning that Trump is already running as a moderate when it comes to abortion. And this makes no sense to me. The Susan B. Anthony Pro-Life America organization is one of the leading anti-abortion groups in America. And they said they will not endorse any candidate who doesn't favor a national ban on abortion after 15 weeks. Rolling Stone reports this morning that Donald Trump hasn't gotten an endorsement from the Susan B. Anthony organization because he refuses to strike a strong enough position on a 15-week ban. Trump has tried to convey to the pro-life movement that there are political nuances and he can't come out and say he supports the abortion ban because it will have serious consequences for him going into the November election. Now, we've talked about this on the show. He's right. He's absolutely right. Uh, But he didn't need to tell the evangelicals that. Trump is pissed off at the evangelicals. He has reportedly told his aides he's done with them because they're ungrateful. As I said earlier, he thinks because he appointed the three justices who overturned Roe, he should be revered by the pro-life movement. And he complains it's never enough for them. He is reportedly upset that the evangelicals don't want to leave it up to the states. He thinks a national abortion ban is a bad idea, not just politically, just a bad idea. And he can't win on a national abortion ban. He can't win the general. But if he wants to win Iowa, he's got to tell the evangelicals everything they want to hear. Why? And I've talked about this, I think, over the summer, because he started taking a principled position on abortion six months before Iowa. Why? Iowa is... uh, You can't win Iowa. Republicans can't win Iowa unless they take a strong stance on abortion. Why wouldn't Trump lie and say he supports a national 15-week ban? He doesn't keep any of his promises, so lie. That's all he does is lie. And then as you head towards the general election, you go wobbly on abortion to get more women to vote for you. I think this is an example of his derangement. Everything is personal now with Donald Trump. He's no longer savvy. He's angry at the evangelicals. He thinks they're ungrateful and disloyal. Instead of placating them, instead of lying to them like he used to, he's lashing out. This is his mental illness getting the best of him, because it's getting worse. I don't see, I know the polling tells a different story. I just don't see how he wins Iowa lashing out at the evangelicals. Now, these are caucuses. Iowa is caucuses. You need precinct captains. You need true believers, not mercenaries. In Iowa, you need true believers on the ground in Iowa, who truly believe in the Trump movement. And I don't think they exist. And if they do exist, the true believers who who believe in the Trump movement, I think they're too stupid to get the vote out in Iowa. 
He's depending on mercenaries, and you don't win in Iowa with mercenaries. You need true believers, not true evangelical believers. I'm talking about true believers in Donald Trump. And the, you look at those MAGA people, they're the true believers. They don't even know how to ring a doorbell. They couldn't even figure that out. So I know the polls tell a different story. I just don't see how he wins Iowa pissing off the evangelical community this way. If this is what we know he's saying to the evangelicals, imagine what he is saying to them behind closed doors. Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who, mur who murdered George Floyd back in 2020 by placing his knee on Floyd's neck for nine minutes, was stabbed on Friday and is expected to recover. Chauvin is being held in a federal correctional institution in Tucson, Arizona, and was reportedly stabbed by a fellow inmate. The Associated Press says the prison has been plagued by a shortage of guards. If you recall, last week we, we reported that the Supreme Court rejected Chauvin's request to overturn his conviction. Derek Chauvin's relatives said over the weekend that the Federal Bureau of Prisons has given them no information as to what happened other than Chauvin was stabbed, guards performed life-saving measures, then transferred him to a local hospital where he is expected to survive. The Associated Press reports a common complaint among relatives of those in federal detention common complaint is a complete breakdown in communications whenever an inmate requires hospitalization. It was especially pronounced during the height of the COVID epidemic. According to the Associated Press, there are currently 158,000 inmates in our federal prison system. Gert Wilders, the far-right Dutch leader, who looks like he's about to become Holland's next prime minister, came under attack by the Arab community when he declared his unwavering support for the state of Israel and said the true homeland for the Palestinian people is the nation of Jordan. This drew an angry rebuke from the Palestinian Authority, Jordan, as well as the Arab League. Up until the 1967 war, when Israel seized the West Bank, the West Bank belonged to Jordan, Jordan, the nation of Jordan, where it is estimated that 50% of that country's 6 million people are Palestinian, most of whom relocated after the 1948 war. Gert Wilders has suggested that the Palestinian population living in Gaza and the West Bank should be relocated and placed in Jordan. Although he has toned down the rhetoric, he toned down his rhetoric in the lead up to and right after the election, Wilders has called for banning the Quran, closing mosques, and keeping Muslims from entering his country. Uh, he said things about Islam I won't repeat, but his words were so inflammatory, he has not been allowed to visit Great Britain, and he was put on trial in Holland for inciting hatred and discrimination, but was later acquitted. After his party's victory last week, he acknowledged that he has to form a coalition government and lacks the mandate for the level of Islamophobia he's called for in the past. You know, a lot of people have been mystified by Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, making an alliance with the far-right government of Viktor Orban in Hungary, because Viktor Orban is an anti-Semite. And you know that this Gert Wilders is also an anti-Semite. But Wilders and Orban, they hate the Muslims more than they hate the Jews. <sighs> Israel released 39 Palestinian prisoners, all of them children, on Sunday in exchange for Hamas releasing 17 hostages 
nine of whom are children, including an American who turned four on Friday. All this after Saturday's release of 13 Israeli hostages and four Thai citizens in exchange for Israel releasing 39 Palestinian prisoners. The swap is taking place during a four-day ceasefire, which is expected to expire later tonight. Hamas has agreed to release a total of 50 hostages, and Israel said it will extend the ceasefire by one day for every 10 hostages who are released. Hamas said they would like to extend the ceasefire past four days, and Israel is saying, you give us 10 hostages, we'll give you another day. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu paid a visit to soldiers in Gaza over the weekend and told them, quote, we are continuing until the end, until victory. Nothing will stop us. Hamas confirmed over the weekend that one of their senior leaders in charge of the fighting in northern Gaza, Abu Anas al-Gandor, was killed by Israeli soldiers. Al-Gandor was on Israel's hit list for being one of the masterminds behind the October 7th massacre on Israeli soil that killed 1,200 people. Israel said it killed him in one of Hamas's underground command centers, He was killed along with three other top Hamas leaders. In Burlington, Vermont, three Palestinian students, two wearing scarves that denote solidarity with Palestinian liberation, were shot as the suspect reportedly fled on foot. One of the victims sustained serious injuries. The students were visiting friends and are studying at Brown, Haverford, and Trinity College. The FBI has now launched an investigation. The Council on American-Islamic Relations, also known as CARE, has posted a $10,000 reward for information leading to the suspect's arrest. Appearing on CNN Sunday, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie blamed America's surge in Islamophobia and anti-Semitism on Donald Trump, who, says Christie, has given license to bigots to express how they truly feel. Donald Trump says he's worth $2.6 billion. At least that's what Forbes has him pegged at. But he also reportedly has at least $200 million in outstanding loans that we know of. See, nobody knows anything about his finances for certain. All we've learned from the New York State fraud trial is that Donald Trump lies about what his real estate portfolio is worth. He inflates the number, says Mar-a-Lago is worth half a billion dollars, even though when it comes time to pay his taxes on Mar-a-Lago, he admits it's only worth $20 million. We have no idea how much Donald Trump has borrowed against these properties. We also have no idea who else he owes money to. We learned during Ivanka's testimony in the fraud trial that in order to secure loans from Deutsche Bank, before becoming president, Donald Trump used the assets of his three adult children as collateral. In other words, he told Deutsche Bank, if I default on these loans, you are free to seize the homes and the assets of my own children. The Daily Mail is now reporting that in the past two years, all three of Donald Trump's adult children officially relocated to Florida and in so doing took out a combined $22 million in mortgages to purchase their homes. Ivanka and Jared, seen here with their children, wait a second, what do we do here? That's their children? Oh, they blocked out, we can't show their children, so we replaced their, their children's faces with Roy Cohen, Stephen Miller, And on the left, I believe that's Melania Trump, 
before hair and makeup. Yeah, you can't, it's not right to show the kids. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> Ivanka and Jared borrowed $15 million to purchase their $24 million home on Miami Beach's exclusive Indian Beach Island. It's a 15-year mortgage at 3%, and they have a monthly nut of $111,000. They have to pay $111,000 on that loan every month. Weird, right? Don Jr. and his fiancée, Kimberly Gargoyle, borrowed roughly $5 million to purchase a $10 million home in Jupiter, Florida. Florida. It's a 30-year mortgage. The first 20 years are locked in at 3.25%, and the final 10 years adjust to whatever the Fed rates are at the time. Their monthly nut is $29,500, not including property tax. Do you find this odd? I find it odd. Eric Trump and his wife purchased a $3.2 million home on Donald Trump's golf course. They took out a $2.4 million 30-year mortgage. Here's why I find this all very curious. The Trump organization is going to appeal the ruling. We know this. But Judge Arthur Engeron in the New York State fraud trial has already ordered the Trump organization to be dissolved. He's banned this family from doing business in the state of New York for at least five years, maybe longer. He's ordered all the Trump properties in New York to be sold off, including 40 Wall Street and Trump Tower. Trump is going to appeal this ruling. But if you've been if you've been paying any attention to this trial, especially the testimony and the evidence There's no way Trump wins this on appeal. Expert witnesses who testified on behalf of the Trump organization broke down and admitted the numbers were inflated. And the purpose of this trial has always been to determine how much to fine Donald and his two sons. That's why this trial is taking place. The judge already issued a summary judgment guilty, fraud. Now they're trying to determine what the fine should be. Letitia James, the state attorney general, initially asked for $250 million. But now we're expecting her to ask for possibly as much as a billion dollars, or maybe even double that or more. Where does Donald Trump find that money? Where? We know that his Save America super PAC raised hundreds of millions of dollars since he lost the 2020 presidential election. It's been used to pay his legal fees and the legal fees for some co-defendants in the Miami criminal trial for mishandling classified material. But nobody in the Georgia RICO trial is getting their legal fees paid for with that money. He raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars since the 2020 election. Where did it go? Where did it go? The Iowa caucuses are about, uh, what, 50, 49, 48 days away, January 15th. Here's what we're looking at. If for some reason, Donald Trump is no longer the presumptive nominee. Okay. If Trump, let's say after New Hampshire, no longer looks like he's the nominee, they are going to destroy him. Our criminal justice system, they're going to take off the gloves and take him to a black site in Syria and destroy Donald Trump. Jack Smith, the special counsel, okay, he's now, remember, this is the scenario. Trump is not the presumptive Republican nominee. Jack Smith, the special counsel, 
is going to start a new investigation into the Save America PAC to find out what happened to all that money. One of the reasons he hasn't done it quite yet is it makes Biden, looks makes the White House look bad to investigate the funding of an opponent of Biden's. But we know, or let's say we have every reason to suspect this is wire fraud, okay? Now, these gag orders that are frozen and being argued right now, if Trump is no longer the presumptive nominee, these gag orders will no longer be subject to debate. Trump's gag order in the D.C. trial and the New York trial are frozen, and they're in the appeals process. Both arguments over the two gag orders center around the right to freedom of speech for a presidential candidate. Tanya Chutkin, the presiding judge in the D.C. trial, has said publicly that if Trump weren't running for president, with what he's been saying, he'd be, quote, taken off the streets. In other words, locked up. Now, but she's saying you can't because he's a presidential candidate. When Trump, if Trump loses in New Hampshire, South Carolina, he's going to immediately go after the GOP and say it's fixed against him. And then he does a third party run immediately. He has to. He has to remain a presidential candidate because it helps him politicize these criminal trials. He's got to politicize these criminal trials. He's got four next year. He's got to make it look like Biden, the Biden Justice Department, is trying to lock up Biden's opponent. But we have a two-party system here in America. And if Trump's a third-party candidate... Uh, which he will become the second he loses maybe New Hampshire. Uh, The courts and the Justice Department will be fearless in terms of how hard they come down on him because he's made a lot of enemies. And the people in our criminal justice system, they take this very seriously. Trump made a lot of enemies in our criminal justice system. And once he can no longer hide under the cloak of being a presidential candidate or a Republican nominee, they are going to come after him with everything they've got. Trump's gag order imposed by Judge Arthur Engeron in the New York State fraud trial has been temporarily frozen as it goes through the appeals process. Before it was frozen, Judge Engeron fined Trump on two separate occasions for violating the gag order when the former president publicly denounced the judge and the judge's clerk. Now, in court filings to reinstate that gag order, officers for the court representing Judge Engeron say that the judge and his clerk have received hundreds of death threats since the trial began. The judge's clerk has been doxxed repeatedly and receives up to anywhere between 20 and 30 phone calls every day that are either anti-Semitic or contain death threats, along with 30 to 50 text messages of the same sort every day. An attorney, an attorney representing the courts, representing Judge Engeron, who is trying to get the gag order unfrozen, they're arguing for the reinstatement of the gag order. They say that the First Amendment doesn't protect speech that endangers the lives of judges, clerks, and court staff. If Donald Trump doesn't get the nomination... He will be broke, found guilty in all four criminal trials, and he'll welcome prison because he'll have a place to live. Jared and Ivanka might be okay unless our Justice Department finally 
prosecutes Jared for negotiating a deal with Saudi Arabia while he was still working in the Trump White House. The uh, Ivanka and Jared made something like half a billion dollars in the four years they were working in the Trump White House. There's no way that's legal, not even in Russia. And what about Eric and Don Jr.? What about those multi-million dollar mortgages they have taken out? Well, I have a feeling they'll be selling those houses to pay their legal fees. Once Trump is out of the picture politically, this is going to get very, very ugly for him and his family. And Trump knows that, which is why he's desperate. He has to win the nomination. It is not going to be a pretty 2020. It is not going to be pretty. It is going to be very, very, very ugly. Texas Congressman Chip Roy is one of two members of the hard-right Freedom Caucus who certified the election for Joe Biden right after the January 6th insurrection. Says a lot about Chip Roy. He refused to certify. He refused. He voted for. He refused to not certify after January 6th. Uh, and he's a member of the Freedom Caucus. The other member of the Freedom Caucus was Colorado Congressman Ken Buck. Uh, he also certified for Biden. And he, Buck, refused to support Steve Scalise and Jim Jordan for Speaker because they are both election deniers. Ken Buck ended up voting for Mike Johnson, who is a world-class election denier. And after Mike Johnson became Speaker, Ken Buck announced he's retiring from politics. Here is Chip Roy. I think you all saw this. This is Chip Roy last week complaining about the Republican Party before the Thanksgiving break. One thing. I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Anybody sitting in the complex, if you want to come down to the floor and come explain to me one material, meaningful, significant thing the Republican majority has done besides, well, I guess it's not as bad as the Democrats. Well, there are a lot of things Republicans have done, Chip. A lot. Back in June, in order to raise the debt ceiling, you and your fellow Republicans added work requirements for food stamps. Two years ago, you demanded that the COVID-era child tax credit expire, even though it lifted millions of children out of poverty, and you made it expire, and then childhood poverty doubled. You Republicans did that. I can name a lot of things you guys have done. You demanded that Joe Biden not forgive any student loans. You made sure that the minimum wage was kept out of the president's bipartisan infrastructure bill. You're being way too hard on your party, Chip Roy. You did a lot, just nothing you can run on. But you did precisely what you came to Washington for. Slash the budget on the backs of the poor while not touching the Trump era tax cuts for the rich. And that added $8 trillion to our national debt. You added $8 trillion to our national debt. Why do you say that you haven't accomplished anything? Chip Roy over the weekend announced he was endorsing Ron DeSantis for president. Okay, I'll ask you the same question you asked of your fellow Republicans. Name one thing Ron DeSantis has accomplished. Name one, Chip Roy. Well, DeSantis has been fighting a culture war. He's done nothing for the people of Florida, but he's done plenty against them. And that's a record Republicans can actually run on. In fact, it's the only record 
Republicans run on, can run on because they do not make life better for ordinary Americans. Republicans make life a lot worse. But through the culture wars, Republicans make life much, much, much worse for the groups they target. And that appeals to low information voters who aren't being targeted and who are trained to believe government is punitive. So if the government is punishing someone else worse than it's punishing me, then I like this government because it's working for me because it's punishing gay people, blacks and women much worse than it's punishing me. The human rights campaign, they're the largest LGBTQ plus lobbying group in America, and the NAACP have both issued traveler advisories for Florida, thanks to Ron DeSantis. Both groups this year said because of Ron DeSantis, Florida isn't safe for the gay community or for people of color. That is all Ron DeSantis has accomplished. And that's all the Republican Party can accomplish. Keep the tax cuts for the rich, deregulate the agencies for the rich and for the corporations, gut our social safety net and our schools, make things worse for everybody, but try to get reelected by making things a lot worse for people of color, the LGBTQ community, women's reproductive health, the marginalized, and the unlucky. The Guardian is reporting that the town of Murfreesboro, Tennessee, outlawed homosexuality for five months this year. According to reporting done by Aaron Reed, the town's local ordinance barred indecent behavior, sexual conduct, and homosexuality. After a challenge from the ACLU earlier this month, the town was ordered to remove homosexuality from the ordinance. But Murfreesboro, Tennessee, has used this new ordinance to start banning gay-themed books from their libraries. The Guardian reports this year the Republican governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, signed into law a bill that makes it a crime to distribute quote-unquote obscene books to schools and children. Because the guidelines of this law are ambiguous, several local libraries in the state of Tennessee have used this as an opportunity to ban gay-themed books. In Murfreesboro, Tennessee, for example, they've instituted a tiered library card where all nonfiction will be in the adults-only section, meaning anyone under the age of 18 can't gain access to these books. Here is Carrie Lambert. She's a local activist addressing the bad people of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. My name is Carrie Lambert. I live in Forest Point neighborhood in Murfreesboro. I'm listening to all the discussion today. I'm getting frustrated. But I think there are two main points that have been left out of this entire discussion. Now, I don't know if that's because you all know and you just don't want to talk about it. You don't want the public to know. I don't know why. We keep referring to the city ordinance on decency. You all in this room, I assume, on this commission know that the city is being sued because that decency ordinance is unconstitutional. So why are we modeling more ordinances or resolutions or whatever you want to call them on something we're already wasting taxpayer money on fighting in court when we look at the case law and see that whenever you use the term obscene, that you can't define that. Nobody can define that. They use the Miller test and that includes and causes harm. So please stop modeling things on unconstitutional ordinances that we're going to get sued over. Why are we doing that? Secondly, you're talking about exposing children to information. Oh, no. 
I listened. I'm sorry, I'm in the back. I couldn't see which one of you was speaking. And you're talking about growing up and going to the library and how you're into history. Do you know now that if you're under 18, you can't access history books? Nonfiction and reference material are in the adult section. That means you can't send your kid to the library after school and tell them, "Go, you're 16, go study for the SAT. They don't have that option with this graduated library card nonsense. Please, think about what you're doing. Think about the Constitution. Federal law trumps state and local law. When in the history of the world have the people banning books been the good guys? When? I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone listening to all of this and nobody's bringing up anything important. You're talking about child pornography. You guys don't know what child pornography is. Sex education is not child pornography. You're talking about you can't look at sex until you're 18. At what age did you guys go through puberty? At what age did you become curious about sex? Did you go to your parents with all of your questions? Most kids don't. We appreciate your passion. Your three minutes are up. (laughs) Pretty good. There's an argument to get involved in city politics. That would be Carrie Lambert uh, of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Good on you. Sarah Huckabee Sanders worked as Donald Trump's White House spokesperson, where she was caught several times bearing false witness. She's the daughter of a a preacher. For example, after President Trump fired FBI Director James Comey because Comey refused to stop looking into Trump's ties to Vladimir Putin, after Comey was fired, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, during a press conference, lied and said she had spoken to a large number of FBI agents who all told her they were glad to see that Comey was gone because Comey had irritated a lot of people in the FBI. But when forced to testify before Robert Mueller, he asked her, who told you that from the FBI? She said to Robert Mueller, I lied. Well, She's completing her first year as governor of Arkansas. Arkansas, the fifth poorest state in America. Nearly 17% of Sarah Huckabee's constituents live below the poverty line. But she's more concerned about the books our children are reading. That's why she named to the Arkansas State Library Board, Jason Rapert, a self-professed white Christian nationalist. According to Right Wing Watch, in September, Rapert referred to the LGBTQ movement as, quote, devil in hell. He founded the National Association of Christian Lawmakers, which is responsible for the anti-trans legislation Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed into law this year. Seventh, what is it? Seventh poorest state? No, I'm sorry, fifth poorest state in America. But she's signing anti-trans legislation. Rapert ran for lieutenant governor of Arkansas last year, but he lost the Republican nomination Here is the newly appointed member of the Arkansas Library Board, Jason Rapert, talking about the work he's doing as head of the National Association of Christian Lawmakers. We're fighting for the lives of little babies. We're fighting against the people that are putting the the queer books into your school libraries and trying to groom these children into homosexuality. We're standing up. We're pursuing school board policies to save the nation. We're standing up and have our members running bills in the halls of the state legislatures to stand up against this woke ideology, to push back against the things of the devil in our country. Arkansas the fifth poorest state in America, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, signed 
a law this year that makes it easier for 16-year-olds to work in factories, to work in slaughterhouses. But the most dangerous thing Sarah Huckabee wants to protect her children from? Ideas. Go work the deep fryer at McDonald's if you're 16 or 15. Go work uh, in an auto shop. Go work in a slaughterhouse. I will protect you, young people, from ideas. These are bad, bad, bad people. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Uh, Thank you for listening. Please uh, share this with your friends. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed and subscribe to my newsletter and my channel. And the best way, if you enjoyed this, the best way to thank me is by sharing this with these are there we go with your friends well the poll we 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 were conducting a poll uh, with our live chat room on youtube we have 873 votes so far and here's the question who do you think wins iowa is it trump desantis haley or the windsor bosom uh, interesting. Let's, uh, I'll start at the bottom. Uh, coming in <laughs> last with 14% is Ron DeSantis. Interesting. The Windsor bosom comes in at 27%. And the Windsor bosom, I'm not making this up, is tied actually for second with Donald Trump. First place, Nikki Haley. Donald Trump ties in second with the Windsor bosom. Odd. All right. Uh, Thank you all uh, for voting. Thank you for listening. And I will see all of you tomorrow. Thanksgiving is over. We get back to work. 